Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 87 of the Office 365 Dev Show. Hey, Rich, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Jeremy? Good, man. How was your weekend? It was good. It was good. You, uh... Came and visited the Lone Star State. How was that? It was good. Just chilling. Just chilling, eating a lot of food. I had my first experience with, what was that place called? The one with the Mexican, no, not Mexican. Oh, the Brazilian Steakhouse. Brazilian Steakhouse. I I had the serious meat sweats after that experience, but that food was good. And now I'm trying to find the Brazilian Steakhouses in Seattle. It is quite a bit of meat. So, uh, yeah, that was cool. It was... uh, Good to have you down in Texas, uh, you and Rob and Yina. It was a nice little quick conference, did some cool stuff around extensibility and, you know, hopefully get to see you guys down here more often. Yeah, we scooted over from Austin to Las Vegas as well for a Nintex event. It was their first partner customer event, which was pretty incredible that they have such that big an ecosystem themselves within kind of the SharePoint ecosystem and they announced some new cool things as well and I got to kind of present our vision of Office 365 so that was a bit of fun so I was really looking forward to just getting home and chilling out of the weekend but um was moving a bunch of stuff in the, the new truck this weekend and I really just need a break but um it is what it is um, how are you Todd we got you on the show again doing very well good to be here with you guys again are you uh, you've recently moved as well so you have you managed to get rid of all your boxes yet or are you still surrounded by them funny you ask because one of my buddies just sold his house and he's about to move so I took all the boxes I used to move to move here to Ohio and I gave them to my friend so he can move now nice yeah, it's amazing how much they charge for those boxes, and they get, they offer to take them back. And I'm like, well, if you're going to take them back, I'll grab the money back off you as well. So I, oh, I kept crazy. mine this time and just get, I lend them to people whenever they need them. A couple thousand bucks. Yeah, that's right. It all adds up. So, um, Rich, this week's been a busy week. We didn't do an intro last week because we had a mega long user group podcast show, which was actually pretty fun with a bunch of the guys. But um, what have you seen out there in the, the madness that is the community this week? You know, the one I guess I'll start with is uh, something from a guy in DX, and this is really cool. So definitely check this out. It's by a guy named Sebastian Pertus out of France. And there's been a bunch, the, the French group out of out of DX has done a lot of work around something called Vorlon JS. If you're not familiar with Vorlon JS, imagine it's like the F12 tools that you get in a browser, the browser debug tools that you can run against a remote client. Now, so what what this allows you to do is basically on your PC, you can remote debug client-side things on something that's running like maybe on an iPad or maybe running on uh, an Android device or a Mac or something like that. And and so what so, so Vorlan.js has been out for a while and it allows you to do this remote debugging. It's really really cool. So Definitely go out and check Vorlon.js just by itself. But um, what Sebastian did is he took that project and actually created an Office add-in tool for it. So what it allows you to do, it's basically a, a really powerful debugging tool, not only for you know people that might not be in Visual Studio or not in, on a PC, but even if you're in Visual Studio and you're building an add-in, but you want to test it maybe on a uh, an iPad, and you're having some weird issue on an iPad or or a different type of client, 
you could easily use this to be able to debug it. And it's really cool. It uses socket IO and, and different things to be able to provide a, a real-time experience. But it's really powerful and I think will be a, a great pattern for the Office add-in developers that are experimenting with some of these new platforms that we're introducing add-ins to. Yeah, I'm, I know there's some internal things that have kind of kicked off based on the work that Sebastian and the, the team on Volon have done already. And um, so I think we'll see a lot more in this this space as well moving forward. So yeah, if you are uh, trying to get ahead of things and you, there's some really cool bits. I know, Todd, you were saying at the uh, MVP summit, and this was an NDA, but they were working with you in the session and there were some things they did as well, right? Yeah, he did a fantastic fantastic demo in that session to really help us understand what you could do with it. And he told everyone in the audience to go to a URL. And we, when we went there, it, it registered our device. And then he was able to click things on his web page now that we had registered our devices with his server he had running. And he would he would click different buttons and it would send messages to our phones in the audience and we had never met the guy before and <laughs> I was really intrigued when I saw that and went wow this this is how you can debug this is great. I'm guessing it must be using a bunch of sockets and stuff in the background, Rich, right? Yeah, it uses socket I/O for all the kind of real time stuff, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty brilliant what they've done. Yeah, the the add-in that he did. It'll basically, you know, like typically you'll have like in a, a, a like an F12, like a browser debugging type tool. You you have like an immediate window type of thing or a console that you can test certain properties. But they basically think of it as like a watch window on top of Office JS. But uh, in addition to that, so not only do I get to see every property on like uh, the the office.context.document. It'll even show you like the functions that are available, like get selected data async or set selected data async, something like that. And you can actually execute it in the Vorland JS tool and it'll go it'll go actually occur on that remote device. So it's it's really powerful. Really cool stuff. Cool. It's really easy to implement too. If I remember correctly, all you had to do was add a script tag to your HTML page and you were off and running with it. That's it? Yep, just one include. Sweet. Cool. Well, in other news, Outlook.com had a big announcement last week. Um, we didn't do an intro show then because of the the uh, panel. But um, they announced Outlook.com as being upgraded to the Office 365 experience. So what that means for Office 365 developers is if you have an Outlook add-in that worked in Office 365, those add-ins will actually also work inside our personal environment, if I'm using a hotmail.com, outlook.com account to log into outlook.com, they're upgrading all the existing customers on the outlook.com platform to this new experience. Um, my one hasn't rolled over yet, but I've got a few test accounts that I've been using for demos and stuff to various different audiences. And man, it's pretty cool, like the different things you can do there and the fact that the demo I do of like Boomerang or of DocuSign all work without any problem directly in those experiences. So, you know, if you've got an idea that is working right now and you're putting it through the the, the office store, you can do the same thing with the personal aspects as well, which is really, really cool. Yeah, they also introduced a bunch of new add-ins, and, and a lot of these, interestingly, have a really strong consumer focus. I mean, they, they could also obviously be used in a, a commercial setting, but 
you know, things like Yelp. I'm a huge believer. Like Yelp has never let me down. If there's something that says it's a five-star rating in Yelp and has a bunch of reviews, it's always awesome. And, and so they, there's a, a cool new add-in by Yelp. There's a Wonderlist add-in. I know that uh, your old boss, CJ, was a, a huge fan of that. Um, and so cool to see not only that that concept of add-ins coming to the consumer side, but also some really, really strong consumer add-ins that are in the store. Yeah, I think it's a great way of getting out there and being able to test things in a, in a broader market where people are engaged. And I think we're going to see a little bit more exposure and awareness of add-ins in that space than we do on the personal space. Because I, I think a lot more people use the web browser for um, Outlook.com than they do with Office 365. That's That's been my kind of take on it. Yep. And then the other large news, which has been a rumor for a long, long time, um, is Xamarin and Microsoft. So um, we've talked about Xamarin a few times on the show, and James Montemagno has been on to talk about, you know, Office 365 and and Xamarin and the APIs and, and so forth. And I know, Todd, for instance, we've built out some Xamarin projects that consume the Microsoft Graph, albeit when it was in preview called the Office 365 APIs. So that that's quite a big announcement of uh, from a Xamarin side. Can I show you what, where our future is going in that mobile space? It'll be really interesting going into build here in about a month. Um, I think you'll see at build probably a lot of discussion around what that new acquisition means. Um, you know, I know today Xamarin is is like a like a premium type pay for thing that you you get a subscription to, and so I'd be really curious to see kind of the direction that we take it. Um, and I think build you'll see probably a lot of key announcements around that and a big focus on, you know, reaching devices. So certainly tune in around that time. Yeah, it'd be exciting. I mean, I have not done too much mobile dev. I know, Rich, you're a big Cordova fan. Todd, what's your take on when how people make decisions around Xamarin, Cordova, or Native? What have you seen out there? I've seen a lot of people in the past make the decision to go with Cordova because they didn't want to pay for the license to Xamarin. Right. But now if that's getting rolled into the Microsoft stack, I can I can see a lot of people going the Xamarin route because you're writing C sharp instead of JavaScript. It's a little bit easier for some people to write if they're used to that server side coding, you know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they do the licensing with the acquisition. Yeah. You know one thing that Xamarin's got that's really cool is their their test suite in the cloud where you can upload an application and they'll test it on dozens and dozens of different types of devices and tell you how it performed and if it failed or not. And that'll be a a really nice capability for people to have right off the bat. You know what else is cool about this whole Xamarin acquisition is Visual Studio already had templates for Xamarin in it, so there's already a jump start going on with this technology. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. The discussion's right. They just saw the demand there, and they figured maybe it would be easier if it was part of the experience natively um, without the third-party extension. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there for sure. I know and, for me, and also what the Xamarin team can do to assist in that mobile dev space outside of their current remit, too. I know for me that I've in the past I've kind of leaned towards Cordova mainly because I I liked the I liked the one user experience that I had to deal with. Now I know there's two different kind of approaches you can take with Xamarin. There's you know you can use Xamarin Forms or you could actually do native forms. So you could actually build you know if you're building an app that focuses on all three platforms, you could build the user interface separately to really uh, really highlight the the benefits of those platforms 
Um, I never really got into Xamarin forms, and and therefore I was always familiar with HTML, so it was easy to do that once. And um, so it was kind of my main kind of focus on it. But again, I think now that Microsoft owns it, we might be able to fine tune that experience even more. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And then another thing that I thought was interesting from Microsoft as a whole uh, last week was the Microsoft Mechanics video channel that Jeremy Chapman had originally as Office Mechanics and then um, Office Garage before that. He did a show with um, Christoph Feisinger, who's in our org in PMG and building one with me, and he talks about all the updates that have happened to Office 365 groups. And it's only um, a short video, but so it's worth just kind of clicking on our show notes to watch it. But it gives you a good explanation about what we mean by groups and this notion of a security group that wraps a bunch of different products and services that are available on the Office 365 stack. And I think it really does clarify what, where we see the future of groups going uh, moving forward. Forward. And um, I'm already seeing a, a flow and change internally of moving from creating kind of distribution lists using our internal provisioning software to, you know, self-service creating these Office 365 groups, which get a DL, but also get a, a planner plan and a Office 365 uh, files group and so forth. And we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go into the show with Todd as well. But um, yeah, from a group perspective, that video is really, really good. And I think as a SharePoint guy, getting your head around SharePoint as a platform, this is a great way of opening your eyes and, and your mind away from just thinking about SharePoint as your building blocks to thinking about Office 365 groups as your building blocks all up. And then um, Rolanda Olgram had put together this nice blog around using the Office UI fabric directives that Andrew Connell and the community have been creating um, with a Windows 10 Universal app, which was pretty neat. Um, something I haven't done. Um, again, we shared this internally with the Office UI fabric guys, and they were really impressed that you know people are taking these things and moving moving them forward too, which is which is cool. Was there anything else you saw, Rich? Yeah, you know, this one's an interesting one, I would say. Uh, I just, just to kind of make a comment on it is, you know, when I saw this, my first reaction was I, I really didn't know that there was still a lot of activity around what we call WinJS, which is building like the universal apps with HTML and JavaScript instead of C Sharp and, and XAML. You know, a lot of times we see that as kind of the more primary area, but this certainly the things like the Office UI Fabric, it's, it is just a, a client-side type framework. You could certainly plug it into things like that and, and get an app that looks very much like Office. So I thought that was cool. Um, another one uh, that I'll just point out that I thought was kind of interesting was one by Andrew Coates out of, the, out of Australia. This is kind of some – he's been doing a lot of different trainings around the, around the world We've had him on a lot of the, the Cloud Roadshow type of events, but uh, he did a post here and, and webcast about doing CRUD operations with the Microsoft Graph API. So what's cool is nowadays, even with like the Graph Explorer, you can start exploring more than just doing gits with that API in the Graph Explorer. So there's a really good kind of walkthrough of, of performing kind of all kinds of different operations, uh, you know, creates, updates, deletes. And you could do a lot of those today now inside the Graph Explorer. You don't have to go and build a separate application. You can test them there. Cool. So, Todd, do you want to just introduce yourself in a bit more detail, who you are, why you're on the show, what have you been doing with Microsoft in, in the last few months, years, 
centuries. <laughs> sure thing. Uh, I'm Todd Baginski. I'm the vice president of Canvas Consulting. We're a consulting shop based in Kirkland, Washington, although I live in Ohio. I've been a Microsoft SharePoint MVP for 10 years running now. I've been working with the platform for even longer than that. And uh, I work with Jeremy and Richard sometimes in Microsoft and a lot of the other people there as well. And for you guys, we build a lot of the training materials and demos and code samples and hero demos that show up at conferences and things that land on MSDN and the Office Dev repository on GitHub to really teach people how to build stuff on top of Office technology. Yeah, I think it's been a great exercise for, for us to have uh, an external hand with the training content, whether it's the hands-on lab step-by-step -step that we have or the videos on devdrivers.com slash training, but also to have these bigger hero demos that kind of take more of a real-world scenario of building these things based on an external person such as Canvas's experience in building enterprise kind of products. And, and as well as the what you do for us, you do do kind of build out applications for customers as well in, in these larger real-world scenarios. Yeah, we certainly do. We have uh, several Fortune 500 companies right now that we're building office add-ins for right now. So a really cool one with Excel where we're really pushing the limits of what you can do with an add-in and working with millions of cells of data in there and connecting the back-end systems. All kinds of complex authentication happening under the hood with tools like SiteMinder and things like that. And also helping a few different ISVs get uh, office add-in versions of their products dialed in and into the marketplace as well. Yeah, so it kind of for our perspective, like the reason we use you is because of that experience you have that we internally really don't 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 have a, a much at that scale. So it's great to kind of get the lessons you've learned and implementing those in in these bigger code samples. And we've had you on the show to talk about the property manager in the past, but um, do you want to just explain what this property manager hero demo is all about? Sure thing. So the property manager hero demo, people can find that in the Office Dev repository on the, the GitHub website, and all the code is there. And that one, you guys have used that one in several conferences now, right, at Build and Ignite and uh, other conferences around the world to really show the capabilities of Office. And what this particular code sample uh, slash demo does is it, it really puts you in the shoes of someone who owns a property management company where it's their job to go to the different properties that they manage and conduct inspections on them, report details back about those inspections, and when incidents happen to be found, like a leaky faucet or something like that, for instance, uh, it allows them to schedule a repair and, and manage the repair cycle and the approval of that repair as well. And so this sample not only has a website where the kind of the internal people at the company sit at their desk and manage the properties and say, I need you to go inspect this one, and oh, I see an incident happen, I need this guy to go repair it, but it also has mobile applications that are really more to help dial in that real-world flavor to the demo application so that the inspectors can be there on site and use their mobile app and conduct the inspection right in the mobile app. And then the repair people can also get information about what they need to repair and put in details about what they repaired, take a picture and video of it, and document they made that repair as well. So it's got a little bit of everything in it. 
and and the intent here was is that we wanted to really show how you know to go back to the beginning of Office 365 Groups, how we can use Office 365 Groups, the building blocks of it with the Microsoft Graph to kind of build an application on the top which has its own user experience that's tailor-made for this particular scenario. And so that's what were right. some of the things, you know, like what were some of the decisions we made on the platforms and the, the languages we used as, as we built out those experiences? A lot of them, didn't we? A whole lot of languages in there. Uh, we have the ASP.NET MVC web app. So that's our that's our web application. And that one you can run at localhost or publish it to Azure or stick it on any web server that has IIS that you like. And then we have the mobile applications, and we built those out in iOS, Android, Cordova, Windows Universal, and Xamarin. So we have basically every flavor of how you can write a mobile app. We wrote the application that way. So no matter what your shop is using, you can dive into this sample and get real-world code here that allows you to call into a variety of different Office 365 endpoints. Yeah, and some of the things we've been doing as we iterate on this Hero demo is just to add additional things as we've kind of, as they've been put into the, the V1 endpoint or the preview endpoint in the Microsoft Graph or new technologies. So what are the, some of the additions that we've added to the property manager in this revision of it? Yeah, we did a lot this time, didn't we? We yeah. put in the, uh, the first thing we did was put in the whole new planner task functionality. So now we have the whole workflow when an inspection occurs and it gets assigned for repair, then we actually take uh, the Office 365 group and from inside of the group, we create buckets associated with each property. And inside those buckets, then we create new tasks inside of there. And then the workflow as this process unfolds and something gets repaired and approved for repair, uh, those tasks get automatically closed out inside of the mobile app when they say, oh, I've, I've finished a repair and now you need to go review it. So that was really cool. That, that one makes a great demo, too, as you're working in the mobile app and you have another screen open with the, uh, the out-of-the-box planner page and hit a button in the mobile app and watch the tasks just start appearing in, in the planner page. That one's pretty cool. So that's, that's a real nice uh, example of how to use Microsoft Graph to do CRUD operations on all the tasks and plans. And in addition to that, we, you know, one of the things we've always been trying to do in the property manager is to show people how do you remote provision all of these different capabilities that you need to build a line of business app on these technologies. So we also were able to automatically create plans and uh, assign them to Office 365 groups as well. So that's all part of the provisioning and what we did with the tasks there. Let's see, what else did we do? We worked on the Office UI fabric. We took some components of the Office UI fabric and plugged them into the property manager as well. So we've got the persona cards in there. Those are the ones that allow you to look at a person just like you would look at them from an Office app, like start a link call with them or send them an email or a video call and look at metadata about that person. So that's a really good example of how you can take Office UI fabric component and integrate it with data that you're getting from the Microsoft Graph and make that work. And then we also did some cool things with the uh, 
the Office UI fabric there when we did a couple pop-outs and those fly-out controls. And we showed off how you can now take those new capabilities associated with OneDrive that you can now make an API call in the graph and you can return a file thumbnail. And so we, when you mouse over and click on the different files inside of the Property Manager app, now you can see a thumbnail preview of what those files look like without even having to download it. So, Todd, I know, you know, the, the Property Manager has evolved quite a bit. This is kind of, I would say, you know, there was the original release, then we did a pretty big rev around build last year. Mm-hmm. And now this is kind of the, the second big revision that this has gone through. What has been, without airing too much dirty laundry, I would say, you know, a lot of times we throw thoughts and like new APIs and new features on you and say, hey, how would we fit this into the, you know, the property manager solution in a natural way? I guess a couple of questions around around kind of throwing you on the fire with some of those APIs is what's like what is your kind of feeling then on in general of the growing pains have things gotten easier to slipstream new kind of capabilities into and then two what's been kind of what do you think's been like one of the biggest ground changing things we've done around extensibility um, to that that kind of supports building a big application like this. Sure. I I felt, you know, at at the beginning when we started doing it and you guys would say, hey, we've got these new capabilities coming up and we're going to demo them and launch them at this upcoming conference. We'd like to enhance the property manager sample to include them so we could show them off. Having not had familiarity with working with Office 365 groups and all this brand new technology you guys had, it it took some thinking to say, where do I really put the buckets of where I'm going to store my information and what makes sense from that point of view so that this application, if it really was used by somebody, it could scale appropriately, right? Uh, so that took a little time to think through off the bat, but As things have come up and you guys have introduced new features now, it's kind of like icing on the cake at this point. I mean, when the Office UI fabric came out and these thumbnails came out, we looked at the application and said, well, where could this be helpful? And it was pretty obvious. It was like, well, well, okay, this is a really easy way for someone to get a quick glimpse at the files inside of an Office 365 group right from our custom web application we made. So that one fit in pretty easily. I think one of the tougher points has been just keeping up with when we build this stuff. You know, we're working in in PPE environment you guys have. So we're hitting endpoints in PPE. We're hitting endpoints in beta and graph. We're hitting endpoints in GA and graph. And so keeping all that sorted in our heads and in our code as the code evolves takes a little bit of time to work with. But you know, people in the real world aren't going to be going after three different flavors of the same endpoint. They're going to be targeting the GA pieces. And so I don't think that would be a big issue for them. One of the things that's really made it easy for us is the evolution of the Graph Explorer. We do so much work just inside of the Graph Explorer, proofing out what our API calls need to look like. And we don't have to waste time compiling code and deploying it and saying, is this the right format of what I need to do? We just try them over and over in the Graph Explorer until we nail them. And if we don't get them right, then all we have to do is look at the Fiddler trace and and make sense of it to see what is different there. And so the Graph Explorer has been very helpful for us 
and really expedites our ability to develop this stuff. So in terms of like the calls and where we're storing things, like how have you been managing kind of the authentication side of the house um, within the product? Like there's a there's some helper classes you've built to kind of make this a bit easier and easier to read the code when you jump in, right? Yeah, good question. And that's in one of those upcoming blog posts I'm writing where I really dig in deep to all those helper classes we made to manage authentication and make it real easy. So at the core level, the property manager uses an Azure Active Directory application, as you know, to do authentication. And then we set permissions on that AAD app to allow it to access the various services in Office 365 and do its job. And so what we do when the application first starts up is, you know, you, you have to consent the first time, and then after you consent and you log in, we take the tokens that we get back and we actually cache them inside of the web app or inside of the mobile apps. And depending on which library we're working with uh, in the mobile apps, those tokens are automatically cached for us by the ADAL libraries. And then in the web app, we wrote some helper classes that allow you to do things like get me a client context for the SharePoint admin site in a tenancy, or get me the client context of the SharePoint site collection that supports the demo. And we also do things like, hey, send me the token associated with the graph, or send me the token associated with a direct endpoint, if we may be making a call to that as well. And I guess that what that means is because you've abstracted it, it gives you a little bit of play, like with the fact we have converged auth in preview right now. Um, Rich, do you want to explain that, that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea behind converged auth is we have a lot of confusion these days over when you go to sign into like a Microsoft secured application, whether that's one that Microsoft hosts or a third party host, you'll see, you know, provide a, a Microsoft account or organizational account. Well, sometimes that gets confused with a work account or a school account. Ultimately what it comes down to is, is, you know, there's a lot of what we call a consumer accounts out there, like uh, things like, you know, outlook.com, live.com, hotmail, and then there's, you know, something that's probably more organizational based. Maybe it's, you know, tamu.edu or something like that. And so um, we're going through a process of making it more streamlined, the sign-in process, but also where app developers can, you know, we have, we have services that serve both those organizational accounts and the consumer accounts. A good example is OneDrive and OneDrive for Business or Outlook.com and Exchange Online. And so the idea is trying to converge all of that so that app developers send you through one authentication flow and they send you through to one endpoint to be able to get to data that you might be able to use. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think the the, the best thing that I've found is that, that now with the permissions, you don't have to go into the Azure Management Portal to do it. You can use the app registration just to go and get your client ID and then use dynamic consent to go and request it. In, yep. in, like in code so th there's like this notion of scopes now I think the real benefit there that I've seen is that applications uh, the main main use is accessing the user's calendar but there's a few scenarios within the application where it needs to go off and access maybe files to store a document you don't have to consent that permission unless you go into the area of the web application at that point it'll request that scope and if that hasn't happened before you'll get a consent pop up from Azure saying 
you know, this application is trying to use the files aspect and then that user will have to actually go through and approve it. That's right. So yep. it gives you like this granular ability of um, not having to ask for the kitchen sink when you first launch the application and deal with application upgrades. It'll kind of handle it a little bit more gracefully. Yep. So the, the property manager right now, Todd, actually works with the current kind of v1 azure ad auth which is only organizational account but you know there is an intent that we'll do some bigger hero demos that work on the converged auth endpoint and give you kind of this personal side i guess we can kind of nail out some scenarios where it might make sense that the repair guy maybe not in the organization that could somehow consent into uh, the group and upload his repair photos via the mobile app with his microsoft account like i.e his outlook.com account rather than his org account that'd be really slick and if you just Think about it, not just from a demo point of view, but from a real-life point of view. That kind of technology is going to really enable a lot more scenarios to be built on top of this platform. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting as we like move forward outside of the preview of that auth uh, mechanism and kind of have the SDKs available there that um, we'll start to kind of incrementally update the property manager hero demo to kind of cater for those scenarios as well. But the end goal yep. is, is that converged off and the, the SDKs and the V1 endpoint is like kind of the primary focus here. And I guess, like I said at the user group last week um, in Austin was that rather than us shipping every three years now, we are kind of doing this from a perspective of, um, you know, like these MVP type styles. And so you're, everyone's seeing kind of the sausage being made in a lot more detail than they would have done in the past. And so, you know, we've had to take a few big kind of big boy steps to move from kind of a preview API endpoint for each individual product to a unified endpoint um, that's in preview to now kind of a, a beta and a V1 endpoint that's got every service on it. Um, and then, you know, from an auth perspective, we're kind of on that journey of moving from Azure AD against organizations or account to personal auth, which has been on the kind of the Microsoft account, to now converging the authentication model as well. And so the journey is near complete, and um, it's going to be really exciting uh, to, to see that kind of evolution and then see that benefit of being able to auth both ways against all services through one endpoint. But um, I, I do understand and empathize with the community as they've tried to keep up. And we've tried to do it in a way that um, doesn't overwhelm people with training and so forth. But um, that's just kind of the way things are in the world right now with how we're evolving as a service. Yeah. You know, there, there's a couple more updates we put in the prop man too as, as well. Uh, we also put in the, the big conversion of moving it from a Visual Studio 2013 to a Visual Studio 2015 solution. Uh, if you remember, when we first built it, uh, we built it even before the Ad Connected Services Wizard was publicly available. And so now the solution's been updated all the way to Visual Studio 2015, and we went through and revved all the documentation and the screenshots and the demo walkthrough, and everything is all up to date there with the latest and greatest tooling now. And then we also worked with you, right, Jeremy, to go through and update our user interface a little bit, too. So it looks it's cleaner and slicker than ever, and it's very easy to use now. Yeah, it's a great example of one where, you know, although it's groups under the hood and there's conversations in groups, files in groups, and tasks and planner, you know, as part of the group, and um, the membership aspect, like that one user interface in the web app kind of shows that in a way that's useful in context of someone managing a property rather than kind of navigating to the raw group's user interface and kind of having to leap between each thing. They get to see it in a, in a view that has it all on that screen. So that's... Um, 
that's been something that I think shows the compelling nature of the building blocks of 365 at the group's level and how you can use the Graph APIs and Fabric to kind of build it so it looks like it's part of Office 365, but tailor it to that particular persona that's, that's managing that data that's stored in inside the service. Yeah. And, and you as know, part of that, you've been doing a series of blogs, blog posts around kind of decompressing all this stuff as well, right? Yeah. So I think, what do we have slated, eight or 11? I think one or the other, uh, different articles on the property manager. And in those articles, I'm really going to walk people through what is the property manager, how do we do all this provisioning with it, and then deep dive into all the things we do with the graph API related to Office 365 SharePoint or anything we can get to via graph. And then we're also going to be deep diving into all the mobile apps as I write those different blog posts. So they're going to be a great roadmap, really, to read through those blog posts and get an understanding of how the prop man works, why it was built the way it, it was built. And they also point you directly to each class that I referenced when I described the code. That, and those classes are right up there in GitHub. So you can download the solution and essentially use the blog post as a way to learn how it was built and how to use it in your own solutions too. Hey, Todd, I'm curious. Um, you know, one of the things that when we talk, we do a lot of talk with developers is that the question comes up of the use of the graph versus some of the individual endpoints. And, you know, what we try to say is that, you know, our, our desire is for as much as possible to end up in the graph, but the, the individual teams are going to kind of charge forward with their APIs. And, mm -hmm. and we try to bring those back into the graph and, and support it. So usually groups are kind of one of the exceptions, but usually functionality will show up on the individual endpoints and then we'll we'll pull those back into the graph. I'm curious in in kind of the work that you guys and where the where the property manager is today, have you had to revert to some of the individual endpoints or like what percentage of property manager would you say is supported by the graph API? Oh good good question. You know when we started out I would, there was no graph API, it was unified API then, right? And at that point, it seemed about 50-50 on what we could do in the unified API and what we could do uh, with the direct endpoint calls. And as it's evolved with this current release, everything except for data access into SharePoint or provisioning components into the SharePoint site, it's all graph. So that is a heck of an evolution in the course of a year that we've moved that far with it. One thing that I would recommend people do as they build their applications, if you find something you need to use a direct endpoint from right now, structure your code intelligently so that you have some helper classes that allow you to go get the tokens associated with those direct endpoints and that you can make your call into those direct endpoints with. And then when it moves into the graph, if your code is structured intelligently, you can just flow those calls through your helper classes used to get the token for the graph and to make your request to the graph instead. So you're only changing a couple lines of code to point it at the new endpoint. And that taking that approach really helped us a lot as we converted about half of the calls in the property manager from direct endpoints to where they're all in the graph right now. 
Yeah, and I think, again, that's that journey where eventually it will end up on the unified kind of Microsoft Graph endpoint, but there will be things that appear first in the direct endpoint. So as an example, like the Outlook one with a the bunch of functionality there that currently is only available on the direct endpoint, but once it's proxied and put up into the Microsoft Graph, um, you know, you'll be able to just use that direct, the sorry, the Microsoft Graph endpoint um, for everything. Now, there was a great question that came up at the user group um, around kind of, yes, Microsoft Graph is proxying what's available on each individual direct endpoint and handling the kind of the token swapping going on in the background. And what impact does that have on performance over calling the the direct endpoints and there is some um, performance stats around that but it is milli milliseconds um, different so it's, you can kind of test it and investigate it yourself it's very easy to switch between the direct and the microsoft mm -hmm. graph because you can actually use the same token um, so it is definitely a depending what scenario you've got but in in most cases the gra the microsoft graph api which has everything on it is going to be um, the, give you the most convenience and not have that performance impact that you might be worried about based on kind of understanding that it is something kind of below that the Microsoft Graph is calling. Yeah, I, I have not seen one bit of performance degradation using the graph versus direct endpoints, at least in this particular sample. And I also haven't seen it in any of the production code that we write for our clients and the different office add-ins and things we create. It, like you said, it's milliseconds, and at, at the end of the day, as the end user, when you're using it, you just don't see those things causing you an issue. Cool. So to get started, they can go to the um, dev.office.com slash code samples and search for the property manager um, sample. That's jumped you into the GitHub, and obviously there's... Uh, ability to give feedback there through the issues tab, but there's a ton of training that's available as well that kind of um, you've done, Todd, talking through and walking through, like building the Android application or the iOS application with the native SDKs and some of the lessons learned there. Um, with, it's very easy to set up. There's a whole kind of provisioning web app that goes and creates all the building blocks you need and sample data. So, um, for instance, I just spun up a new tenant and um, was able to kind of get a whole sample data and a demo up and running in no time at all. So if you're trying to kind of demonstrate the power of Office 365 to your internal people, the property manager hero demo is definitely a great place to start. Yeah, one nice thing about that whole provisioning aspect too is if you want to run the demo again and again and again, we have buttons in there that allow you to wipe it and reset it and pick the date you want to run the demo and it'll update all the data to be applicable to that date and time and Everything looks good every time you run it that way. Cool. Well, I appreciate you jumping on the show, Todd. And uh, for Rich, good to speak to you again. And we'll, um, we've got some great shows lined up. Before we have Build, I'm, we've done a, an effort to go and talk to a bunch of partners about what they've been building on top of the Office 365 dev platform. So if you're interested in being on the show to talk about what you've been building and what services and features of Office JS, for instance, you've been using, we'd love to hear from you and talk to you on the show. Um, until next week, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check Check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash Office 365 Dev Podcast Jam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.